Hello, White Sox fans, and welcome back in to the Sox on Tap podcast. It's Tony Marchese alongside NWI Steve. Steve, we're hashtag back. It's been a while since we've been uh, live on these airwaves. How are you doing, my friend? Hey, yo, Anthony. It is hashtag confirmed. We are hashtag back. It feels good. Um, I'm not really sure what we're going to talk about to fill airtime here for the course of the next hour or so. I mean, not a whole lot is happening other than the fact that, you know, listen, it was 30 some degrees outside today. Um, that's like basically shorts weather. That is, that is good news. That you is know? good news. I mean, but other than that, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. What do you want to talk about? Um, I think that there's, you know, a couple two tree things that we can, we can talk about. There's been a, a picture that's been signed uh, there's some Mark Burley stuff to talk about with these Hall of Fame ballots, but I My think guy. I think we're going to start with um, these reports that came out as you and I were uh, recording for a, a special project that's in the works here at Sox on Tap, um, and we haven't had a time to get on these airwaves and discuss uh, the the bombshell report that came out from Daryl Van Schoen. Uh, just a little bit over about a week ago, Steve, about a week ago. Um, so I, I want to start with that. And why don't you let the listeners uh, know what was, was in this report here? I don't know if people have been living under a rock for the past week because of the fact that we had those sub-zero temperatures, uh, sub-zero great Mortal Kombat character, by the way, for anybody who's, uh, who's listening here. Um, but speculation is that the White Sox are in discussion with the city of Chicago and developers to build a new ballpark in the South Loop at the corner of Clark and Roosevelt, or Roosevelt, however you want to say it, um, as part of the... Your preferred, what's your preferred pronunciation here, Stephen? I think I'm a Roosevelt guy. Roosevelt? Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I feel like it varies when I, when I say... Roosevelt, Roosevelt. It just depends on you know the other words in the sentence. But I was I was curious what your pronunciation of of that. Yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a big Roosevelt guy. Um, you know, T.R. and the Rough Riders. You know, his uh, presidency during the early part of the 1920s. You know, fa fascinating guy right there. But that's not why you called. Um, but anyways, yeah, that's the speculation that the White Sox are in discussion to build a new ballpark there, and um, quite a change. That would be for us, for the fan base as a whole, and just from an entire fan experience, um, you know, this team potentially leaving the neighborhood that they have resided in since they came to Chicago in 1900 from St. Paul, Minnesota, when Charles Comiskey brought him over from uh, the former Western League to be the charter franchise of the American League. So, Times they could be a changing, man. Times definitely could be changing. And we'll get into some of the specifics and details of this as we go along here. Um, just a friendly reminder, hop in the YouTube, get in the comments. You can also comment on X now as well on the show. That's new. Um, I believe you have to be on a desktop. I haven't seen it work, at least from Androids on mobile. Test it out. Drop some comments from X in here if you can. Um, that would be great. We love interacting with you. Um, second to that, Stephen, you wrote a report yourself, uh, just some investigative research um, that you did over the past weekend in regards to this potential stadium move that seems like it's going to come to fruition here. If I'm if I'm reading between the lines correctly of what Bruce Levine has said over the weekend on 670, the score, um, I believe there was a comment earlier uh, that uh, what was it, Steve? It's it's going to come together rather quickly. Um, there it is. Our first X comment comes in from none other than uh, Kenwell himself. himself. They, these work. He's You can see the little X down there, Kenwo. We yeah, we are him? a bunch of jabronis, but Ken is also a jabroni as well, can, Steve. Can we don't block you think? I don't know if I have the ability to block. I think I could put him in timeout from the admin council, but I don't know if I can block him. Well, I have to look. There's only um, to find out. So, Stephen, you did some investigative research over the weekend, and I kind of want to get into this. It's up on ontapsportsnet.com. Article is titled Winners and Losers, How the White Sox Moving to the South Loop Would Impact Fans. We're all about the fan perspective here, Stephen. What did you find out? Listen, everyone knows that I am a man by the people, for the people, of the people. The My sources are indicating, and, and listen, obviously, Bruce Levine, 
you know, commented on this on the weekend, and I was actually uh, listening to him as he was on uh, Mullane Haw yesterday morning as I was driving into the city. Um, you know, basically saying that this thing, if it happens, will come together very quickly. And then he followed it up by saying two weeks or a month. That's a very short time frame right there. And then you see tweets and reports of the Bridgeport alderwoman basically saying that she has seen some of the specifics of the deal and that it is a tremendous deal for the White Sox. That to me is almost resigning herself to the fact that they are going to leave. I, I find it fascinating that an older woman would make that kind of a comment, basically saying that this deal is basically too good to pass up. She needs I, to, to leave our current area here and go to a, another region of the city, another portion of the city. Um, to me, that makes it almost seem like it's fait accompli. Now, obviously, city of Chicago, there's a lot of greasing of the wheel that has to go on in order for this thing to get across the finish line. But those two factors right there make it think, make it seem as though this thing has legs more than we even initially thought a little over a week ago when this first leaked out. Yeah, I saw those comments as well. I was I was a bit surprised. Normally, it's the alderman's job to sort of keep uh, their, their constituents within their neighborhood happy. And, and I think that, you know, as we start to dissect this, there's going to be a couple of different things here that it's going to be, um, different businesses that are going to be affected and impacted, uh, by this potential White Sox move. Uh, Steven, as, uh, as some of the viewers on here, uh, you didn't see this comment come up yet. Uh, Ken Wells on an iPhone. He said, it looks like Steven's wearing a Cleveland shirt. How is this um, a Cleveland shirt? I, I'm not sure, Steve, but uh, Kenneth might need his eye checks. We, we know so. Kenneth is not what anyone would confuse for a smart individual. Now he's apparently blind. Well, you know, these are interesting developments that we're, we're learning here live on air. But the the comments about, you know, it being a tremendous deal for, for the Chicago White Sox, I'm not too uh, – involved in, in knowing what the specifics are of this potential deal. Steven, do you have any light that you can shed on this in terms of how this potentially gets paid for here? Because if we rewind the tape just a little bit um, back through the season, we also had rumblings of, you know, Jerry Reinstorf meeting with the mayor of Nashville. Uh, you heard about potential suburban moves. Um, everything was sort of up in the air. I think the 78 development project, was also a, you know, just tossed around rumor. But now that you get some some clarity here that the Sox are seriously in talks with uh, the city of Chicago on this, um, th this seems to be the location they've set their their sights on. How are we going to fund this? What What's going to be tremendous about this deal? Well, the interesting thing from a funding standpoint that Bruce commented on apparently over the weekend and Monday as well was that the – Tax impact for residents in the city of Chicago, County of Crook, state of Illinois, would be no different than the current deal. So the funding mechanism was always going to be the biggest question of this. Um, we've had this discussion. I know you were very much um, panicking, I, I would almost say, when these leaks and these rumors about Nashville first came out and everything. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big Nashville guy, but I, I just didn't want to see my socks leave. You know, I and, and I and I can understand that. And the funding mechanism was always going to be the biggest hurdle here. But I think the fact that this is part of a larger development, there has to be some sort of funding machinations going on here that is tying the stadium construction and the surrounding development around it together that is going to minimize that tax impact on residents, like I said, in the city of Chicago, County of Cook, state of Illinois. Um, we don't have a ton of specifics on it at this point here. Um, and one other thing that Bruce Levine, you know, commented on and he went out of his way to really say was that since 1920, there have only been two new stadiums built in the city of Chicago. And both times, 
the bane of our existence. Jerry Rice is the man who was responsible for getting those stadiums built. Obviously, with uh, New Comiskey Park and then the United Center. So he's he's got experience doing this. I, I think it would be kind of hilarious in a way if the Sox were able to get a new stadium plan finalized before that sorry-ass football team could even get one done. That would be hilarious to me. It would. And, you know, that's an interesting point that you bring up here, that Jerry Reinsdorf's the only man in this city that's been able to pull off these developments. Um, it, it speaks to some of the historic stadiums in, in the city, I guess, Steve. But, um, you know, there, there's something to be said for, um, you know, this entire project in itself here, because this is this is a lot different. And you touched on it in your article. This isn't the same run of the mill Jerry Reinsdorf 35th and Shield Stadium. There's been renderings that have leaked out. Um, I'm pretty sure if you're tuning into the show, you can find them somewhere online. They're all over the place. Um, it looks cool, Steve. It, it looks like uh, a place that you would be proud to call home if you're a White Sox fan. Um, the, the big part in question to this is, is this thing going to face the city? I think the overwhelming answer to that is going to be yes. Have skyline views that everybody's been clamoring for for years. Um, but it's also going to change sort of the dynamic uh, as a White Sox fan who's been going to 35th and Shields their entire life of what the ballpark experience is going to be. Not only from the in-park experience, because we don't exactly know how they're going to design the, the stadium, the stands, all that. But I think for you and I, one thing that you we've discussed pretty much every day since this news has broken is the impact it's going to have on our journey to and from the ballpark itself. And Steve, I think that's a, a good place for you to jump off as somebody who's coming in from Northwest Indiana. Um, you know, how do you feel about this personally? Okay, so two things. I, I want to touch first on the stadium renderings that got leaked out first and, and a couple of observations that I have made from this here. Um, you know, if you look at the renderings of it, you've obviously got it, you know, alongside the river there. So you've got some potential to have views of the skyline. And depending on the orientation of it, um, you know, you could potentially set something up similar to Oracle Park in San Francisco, where you could have balls getting hit into the Chicago River, people in kayaks and boats in the summertime, um, because everybody in Chicago likes to say, I'm on a boat, and then they can go chasing after home run balls. Um, so that would be certainly very unique. And I mentioned this in, in my piece here. If done correctly, this stadium would have the opportunity to be the envy of baseball from in a lot of pers perspectives. Um, the stadium design itself, there's two things that, that I noticed about it. First, if you really zoom in on it, you can see that there's a multi-deck structure in the outfield there and what looks like right field, um, which kind of, you know, you could almost say harkens back to old Comiskey Park with it. Um, that's something that I, I find kind of appealing. Um, when the current ballpark right now was going through some of the renovation talks, you know, 20 plus years ago at this point, there was actually, and you can find these renderings on a page called stadiumpage.com. And you can see there was an idea for a second deck in right field um, at the current ballpark right now. And that would have certainly made things different aesthetically. So that would be interesting. My biggest, my biggest gripe, and this is something that I've noticed about pretty much all the stadiums that have opened up, I would say in the last 10 to 14 years, really kind of starting with um, that, stadium up in uh, Canada South there and and just all the various ballparks, even, you know, the new one that my barbs have moved into uh, down in the ATL is having five different levels to these ballparks. It drives me absolutely insane. One thing that I would love to see them do is get back old school style, similar to old Comiskey Park, do two decks. I've retweeted a thread from Travis Sawchick, who's uh, written at Fangrass and various other publications, talking about the ways that they could really do this thing and do this thing right by bringing fans and bringing it closer to the field. And that's something I would really like to see them do. The renderings that we have out there right now don't look as though they're going to do that. 
renderings can change. You know, this could just be a first draft. Who knows? So we'll see what happens with that. That's just my take on, on the aesthetic. I knew that was going to be a sticking point for you. You've brought this up numerous times um, on various different uh, shows that we've done, um, especially talking back to uh, when we did our show with uh, Last Comiskey. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was something that was talked about heavily. Um, so I know that's on your wish list, Stephen. Uh, hopefully you get that. I've never been in a ballpark that's that's had that um, architecture. So I can't say that I've had the privilege of sitting in an upper deck that's super close to um, the the field in that manner. But uh, let's let's hope that maybe maybe they do something with that because I've heard a lot of good things. Yeah. Um, so you know we'll see what happens from that perspective of this. Talking about the fan experience and, and the aspect of getting to the ballpark, and this was really the crux of my my column from yesterday, is that this is really going to change the fan base in a lot of different ways. As I mentioned, the core of this fan base are your generational bridge porters, your, your people that have lived in the neighborhoods directly around the ballpark, you know, some of them for two and three generations, people like yourself down in the Southwest suburbs, and then people like me in Northwest Indiana. We are the heart of this team's fan base. And we have been really for the entirety of its existence. The problem is this. There's not enough of us, and there's not enough of us that are committed to supporting this team consistently and filling the ballpark on a night in and night out basis. We just have to be real about this. One of the other things are you, that, are you, you're giving some credence to North side slander of, of the South side organization. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know that I would say that it, that it's slander, but the, the other point that I, and, and this is really the bigger point that I made in here is you go from 1901 through the 1984 season, the Sox actually outdrew that team more frequently than vice versa. And then 1985, happens you know you have some you know some old drunk that was just wearing glasses you know talking about is it really failed you had that and then you had the gentrification of lakeview and some of the surrounding neighborhoods and then the attendance dynamics shifted it was no longer about the product on the field it was about the environment it was about the party it was about the midwest transplants who graduate from their big Ten schools and leave their podunk towns in ohio and Wisconsin and Iowa and move to Lakeview and adopt that team. And you have corporate events because everybody wants to go into this vibrant neighborhood where they can party and and just have a good time and a baseball game just happens to break out. That's really been the thing that has driven the disparity in the attendance. You know, a lot of people don't want to talk about this, but the owner of that team 10, 12 years ago said – and it's in print. You can find it. Most games, up to 40% of the people in the park are tourists. So it's a hard truth that they don't want to they, they don't want to talk about. That's ultimately what this decision to move the ballpark and move the Sox operations to the South Loop is geared toward. It's geared towards getting those tourists that come into Chicago in, you know, from Memorial Day to Labor Day on, on, on the weekends. It's about getting those corporate events that are coming in because of all the convention business that is done at McCormick Place, which is not going to be far from the proposed stadium site. So you can have people do a 20, 30-person corporate event on an almost nightly basis because I can tell you convention business in Chicago never stops. And then it's also going to cater to once this neighborhood is fully developed, up and running. You're going to get people moving in there. You're going to get those Midwestern transplants from those big 10 schools moving into that neighborhood there and then looking for a baseball team to adopt. And now the Sox have the opportunity to be that team where for the last 40 years, they haven't. So at the end of the day, that's what this is about. And, And that's one of the big pieces of this because ultimately at the same time, getting this new ballpark built and any team-owned development around it allows it to be a year-round cash cow and is going to drive up the franchise valuation for when this team, at some point in the next 15 years theoretically, is no longer owned by the spawn of Satan. 
Well, I, you said a lot here, and I, I agree with some. I disagree with a little bit. But um, for all intents and purposes, Steve, I feel that this this potential move, and you sum this up in, in your article as well, it's not exactly geared towards the diehard White Sox fan right now. And there's there's some people who live in the city that this is going to make things a lot easier for them. But the vast majority of us, at least for me, this is going to be a little bit of a, a, a shift. And, and there's a couple of things that I question, and there's a lot of, a lot of what ifs here. One, and some people are going to say these are nitpicky, but I enjoy tailgating. These renderings do not lend any credence towards there being a big parking lot to tailgate in. And some people on you know X.com are out there saying it's a huge waste of space to have all these parking lots and, and all that's a that's a communal area, at least for me. I think it's incredibly awesome. Lot B, you get to tailgate, have some beers right on, you know, the scene of uh, old Comiskey park right there. Um, that's, that's cool. It's, it's, it's fun to bring, you know, my son out there, show him home plate, do that whole thing. Um, you know, we've congregated and had beers around old home plate before. Uh, you know, it, there's been numerous years where we've thrown huge, massive tailgates Then you don't get to do really anywhere else in this city, Soldier Field, you've got some opportunities, but not the same way that you have it at the corner of 35th and Shields right now because it's a little bit more spread out. Um, that's number one. I'm going to miss tailgating. If this is something that um, isn't you know, worked in, I'm assuming we're going to have parking garages. I don't know that there's going to be tailgating and parking garages. Definitely not the same aspect. Um, I would expect it to be a little bit more like Wrigleyville where you've got bars and restaurants. And if you want to do something before the game, you're shelling out a little bit more extra cash uh, as a White Sox fan going into these games. And that's by design. Um, that's not just, you know, the White Sox saying you know, we don't have space for this. It's by design. It's for that development because they want to pump money into it. So the the thought of having tailgate space, that's right out the window. And that's been part of my White Sox fandom um, for basically my entire life. So seeing that go away will be incredibly sad. Um, second to that, are you going to have an exploding scoreboard? That was a staple of the Chicago White Sox. I don't know if you're going to be able to shoot off fireworks in a closed, compact neighborhood the way that they have it uh, there. Maybe they work it out. Maybe they're shot off over the river. Who knows? But uh, that's a that's a huge question mark for me. Uh, that changes the dynamic of of in in game ball game experience, and then you talk about the tourists that come in, and now this is a, a hotly debated topic, and and you brought up the attendance issues or uh, lack of attendance for White Sox games. I don't know about you, Steve, but to me, in the summer, taking a day off, going to a day game, you know, there's that those ball that ballpark should not be empty once they move, whereas. You know, it was sort of, I guess, a little bit more relaxing to go take in a ball game. I enjoyed some of those games where you only have a crowd of, you know, sub 10,000 and you get to move up close and, um, you know, just get a little bit more for paying a little less money. Um, that was, I'm sure that this stadium by design is not going to allow you to do that as easily. Um, and, you know, it, for all the people want to complain about the current concourse, you know, getting a full 360 concourse that you can walk around, I enjoyed that. It allows you as a fan to to move around freely throughout the ballpark, uh, go congregate with different people. A lot of people who listen to this show are um, probably heavily involved in, in White Sox Twitter world, and, and a lot of congregations take place within certain sections of the stadium. Uh, depending on how the architecture of this is designed, it, it could prohibit um, some of those things from happening. In the future, so there's a lot here that I'm starting to look at and say, yes, this this could be a really cool development. This could be something that we can be proud of as White Sox fans. But there's a lot of things that are going to change with this, and it sounds like, um, you know, specifically the tailgating portion and aspect of it, that's going to go away. And I mean, for better or for worse, enjoy your tailgates. Um, for the next few years before the Sox do make that move, Steve. I don't know if you'll be Stone Cold Steve Austin and beers in, in Lot B anymore. I don't think you're going to see Buzz on tap uh, doing any mudslides outside 
um, and tearing his, his, his chest up on broken glass. Um, you know, there were, there were races in the parking lots, um, you know, jello shots. And, and I heard a family man once won one of those races. I did hear a family man won a race at, at one point in lot B. So there's a lot of memories that are there. And I think that, you know, we all want to get excited about a new ballpark, but I'm just, I, I guess I'm sort of sad to say that era of, you know, White Sox fandom uh, is, is now, you know, knocking on death's door, so to speak. So there's a number of different things to unpack there. And I think a couple of them, um, you know, as it relates to the parking aspect of it, and then the tailgating aspect of it, I can kind of draw on my experience traveling to all the various ballparks across the country, but most recently going to Atlanta to see my barbs um, at their new ballpark down there, Truist Park, and the surrounding battery retail development that's over there. That's the model. Um, and then even when I was in Cincinnati in June, that area has been built up a lot over the course of the last 14 years before I, you know, since I was last there in 2009, that's what, you know, they're, they're going for here. And I can tell you that in Atlanta in particular, there's, I want to say one or two parking garages. Um, and it is an absolute logistical nightmare getting in and out of there. Um, nothing about that park is built for people to drive. It's just not. And most of the newer parks that have gone up, maybe with the exception of, you know, uh, the new Rangers ballpark in Arlington there. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of parking lots that are, that are available there, but this is most of the new parks are geared towards public transit, which I'm not a fan of. Um, you know, and the idea of, of tailgating, obviously, it is something that... How many it, Metro rides have you taken in your lifetime? Um, I could probably count them on one hand. You know, and and, and one, of, one of them was in September of 21 with uh, Bradley Squires uh, before we came to do a uh, tailgate for halfway to Pulaski Day. Yeah, there you go. Um, He's so, a big Metro guy. I Yeah, I mean, you know... It's just, it's not my thing, but that's really what this, this is geared towards. And that surrounding development, they want to set up a situation like the battery in Atlanta, uh, like the re like the retail development around uh, the Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati and, you know, Texas Live down there in Arlington. And they want to control that. So that's absolutely what is going to happen. And it is definitely going to be something that will be very different for us. And, and no White Sox fan alive or ever really knows of anything any different. I mean, yeah, you know, you had a period of time where McCutty's was, you know, within walking distance of old Comiskey Park. But, I mean, it's been gone for 40 years. You know, I mean, is it that bad of a walk at, at, at the current stadium? Is it that bad to get over to Turtles or Cork? No, I don't think no. it is. I don't think it is. And, you know, I walk from Wings of, and Rings all the time. Yeah. Coming out of the current stadium, there's still bars that are around there. And those are the people that I feel for in this situation. Um, Grandstand is another business. There's plenty of businesses that are over there that have been sort of anchored to the White Sox and, and get most of their business from people coming out of or going into uh, White Sox games. Um, we, we all know what happened during the pandemic when there was no baseball, no fans, um, and, and those businesses suffered. Um, it, it'll be rather difficult, I would think, uh, to for, for those, those businesses to, you know, maintain – uh, what they've had over the past couple of years. But, you know, it, it's sort of not only is it an end of an era for for the Sox at 35th and Shields when this happens, there could be a lot of ends and end of eras for the Bridgeport neighborhood. And that's not to say that this isn't the right move for the White Sox to make. But there are people who are impacted by this. It's not just we're going to get this new fancy stadium that you can see the Sears Tower from now. Like that's that's cool and all, but there, there's a lot that goes into this decision. And, you know, I, I, I sort of 
feel a little pain for for some of those people who are impacted by this potential move because it has been, you know, hundreds of years or a hundred plus years in this location. You've got families who've who've lived in the Bridgeport area who walk to these games. We know some of them. Um, it's going to be a little bit more difficult for them, their families to to get to games. Not that this is a massive move by far, but um, there's a lot of people whose lives are built around the Chicago White Sox. As you know, as a White Sox fan, somebody whose mood is um, determined each and every day on whether or not this team wins or loses, uh, I'm the same way. It, it's going to be difficult to take the Dan Ryan past 35th and Shields to get to another stadium because you're going to pass it every time and say, Jesus, I could have gotten off right here and I'd have been at the ballpark already, especially if it's a congested area, if the traffic is terrible. Can you imagine if, if it's, it's a right? congested yeah, area? If it's a congested area. Um, yeah. Now, can you imagine how much of a disaster it's going to be getting out of that ballpark when the New York Yankees come to town? Like I said, that's where, at the end of the day, this whole thing is going to be geared towards public transportation. And, um, you know, for people that have direct red line access, this is, you know. It's yeah, you not, did some you did some polling on this. I, I did. I did. A, I did. I did the work. You know, I did the polling. I did the crowdsourcing through through other means here. Um, you know, people that can get directly on the red line, it's not going to impact them at all. And then people in, you know, from the Western suburbs are going to be able to take a Metro right into union station, um, which will help, you know, people, if you're up in Schaumburg, Arlington Heights, Roselle area. Um, Here's my problem with the Metro though. They have to align the scheduling of these trains for post game. Okay. And that's one thing I wanted, that's one thing I wanted to get to. So problem if they do not. Yeah. So for, so for me, Okay. There is the South Shore. You know they're building a new station in Munster near me. Um, looking at the schedule, they have a stop off of Eleventh in Michigan, and so then it's about a ten to twelve minute walk from the proposed site at Clark and Roosevelt. So now you got to deal with that. And I looked at the schedule. Basically, there's a nine fifty p.m. and then there's not another one till eleven twenty. So now you got to play the game of watching the clock. And that's not something I want to do. I remember there being tales of when the Nationals first built their ballpark downtown. The yes, train schedule, these. the train schedule was not adjusted and people literally having to leave games in the 7th and the 8th inning because of the fact that that was the last train that ran. So they would have there would have to be game day adjustments get those pitch clocks down to five seconds and we're good you know so i I, that's again that's one of my biggest gripes for on a personal level that would really piss me off for lack of a better term there now there's a lot of things that can happen between now and 2030 okay we got six years for for all of this to kind of shake out we don't know is there going to be a new station that is going to be built as part of the infrastructure around this. That could happen. What lines are going to go directly into that station? How will the schedules be adjusted to that? You know, will there be restaurants in the area that will have shuttles similar to like Buffalo Wings and Rings does right now, or some of the ones in the West Loop that will take it to the United Center for the Hawks games or, or for the Bulls games? So there's there's ways around it, but Again, at the end of the it's day, it's added logistics. It, it, it is a hundred percent, hundred percent, and it's a it, it it will be a fucking pain in the ass for you and I. No question about that. Um, so selfishly, I'm not thrilled about the prospects of that here. The only thing that I just keep coming back to, and, and this is how I'm choosing to look at this when this ballpark opens. In 2030, I will be 46 years old. I will be well onto the back nine of my professional career at that point there. I'm not going to have a lot of working years left by that point. Um, so there might be a couple of years of inconvenience. In and there. then you're moving into the 78 development. Nana, nana. That's not going to happen. But... 
the bigger picture here that I'm choosing to look at is the post Jerry Reinsdorf White Sox. That's what this ultimately is about because this, because again, if done correctly, this could position the post Reinsdorf led White Sox to finally be a major market player that we have always wanted them to be. So the question that I have to post to you and that has to be posted, those of us that are going to be inconvenienced by this from a logistical standpoint, will you deal with the added headache of this, knowing that potentially it could lead to October baseball more consistently? Because, Anthony, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I'm going to be 40 years old in March. I've been to four fucking playoff games in my life. So you really think that the news – are you just saying from attendance revenues? Is that, the, where is that where your argument is for this? Because to me, spending the money on players and spending the time to develop a system right and doing all those things that we complain about that they don't do right now the way that they should be doing. I just don't see a new ballpark that faces the city all of a sudden, you know, attracting top tier talent to come here more or less than I think that the angle here is let's get those tourist dollars in and, you know, make it pretty and, and nice and have people be able to go to bars and maybe they'll wine less. And, you and, know, and Anthony, again, again, think about it like this when he's no longer in the picture and you have new ownership, if you have, revenue growth coming from this and revenue growth year round with the development. Well, Cause I have seen, here's the other thing that we don't know. Are they putting a roof on this? I, I wouldn't expect there to be a roof. I wouldn't either, but it wouldn't be a bad move. Although no. that would just up the cost of, of the building significantly. I think if you have an opportunity to do it, why not? Like let's 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 not have any more rainouts in Jerry's world because you know it'll drive me up the wall. You know it's going to drive you up the wall. Is getting down to the new ballpark in the '78 and spending four or five hours there, not being able to tailgate in you know Johnny Nani's car for a couple of hours and 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 drink our beers, you know, in, away from the rain, but having to go into a bar and then potentially going into the stadium. And then being told that we've got to get back on a metro train that doesn't leave for another hour and a half. So now you're stuck down there spending money that you don't want to be so that you can come back the next day and spend more money all over again. That's going to be a disaster. So I would be voting for a roof. I, yeah, I share that sentiment. Um, again, I mean, that's, you know, a few extra hundred million dollars from a construction standpoint. So, I wonder if Jerry can float it. I mean, I'm sure I'm, there's going to be some new revenue dollars pouring in through uh, the the stadium TV deal contract. You know, it goes both ways. Yeah, I, I mean, but again, I'm just choosing to think about this from the standpoint of the post Reinsdorf White Sox. Well, yeah, no, I think I think you'll get somebody in here that wants to build a winner and is going to want to have. As long as we don't go neutral site World Series, you know the the panoramic views of the city from the ballpark uh, on a on a World Series broadcast would be picturesque. Let's let's not lie to ourselves. Um, but I, I just I don't know I don't know if I have enough faith in the Chicago White Sox to ever do that. Whether it's Jerry Reinsdorf or who who whoever else is uh, eventually running the show here to pull the right strings. I guess I'm just broken because I've spent too much time here. Fair, very fair assessment right there. You know, the fact of the matter is this evil bastard is the only guy that we've ever known. So that's true. I'm choosing to hold out hope that when his reign of terror ends, that someone will actually come in here and realize that this is a major market it's going to look like a major market with the new stadium and all the new projects and yeah. you know the the vibrant neighborhood around it. I heard they want to do concerts there too. Yeah. That you know, again that's that's year. about the year-round revenue generation yeah. piece of this. Yeah. And that you know, that's that's going to be great. Like 
We, we can find we can finally get a, a, a Hawks Winter Classic at a, at at a Sox ballpark. Yeah, and and that that was sort of intriguing to me. And if if you're not a hockey fan tuned into this, uh, rumored that the Blackhawks are going to be hosting a Winter Classic, and 35th and Shields was not on that list of potential stadiums. And I think that that's that's sad as a White Sox fan. They they'd rather go back to Wrigley twice before you host here. And you also talked about one um, thing that was, was brought to mind the other day. And that's, that's an all-star game mm-hmm. that's coming up. So 2033 will be the 100th anniversary of the first all-star game at Comiskey park. What better way to, uh, to kind of christen the new yard and now, granted, it'll be three years old at that point, but, you know, the league will be chopping at the bit for that. In July, the weather's nice. You got the shots of the lake, everything. I mean, it would absolutely look great, and, and, and it would just totally tee things up for that All-Star game to come back to for the White Sox to host something they haven't done since 2003. And then, you know, here's the other aspect of things. Shut up, Ken. You're an idiot. Um the other thing about it is this: we sh- we show the comments, Steve. We we got to show the comments. You you can do like I said a number of different things with this from a year round aspect. They could get a college football bowl game. They play they play a bowl game in Yankee Stadium. They play a bowl game in Fenway Park. You could do that. You could have Northwestern playing a game there every year. I don't want care about college bowl games. I want the White Sox to win games. That's that's Anthony, the most important. Anthony, Anthony. It's about the revenue piece that can be generated for the White Sox. Well, that's that's what it's about. That that's fair. That's fair. And and I, you know, as long as the White Sox get better, we're 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 both going to be happy. I don't I think mean, either of us are going to argue that it, exactly. I mean, like I said, I I've seen I've been to four home playoff games in my life. I want the second half of my life to see more of them. Sure. We all do. Steve, this has been 42 minutes of ballpark talk. We got a couple of other White Sox tidbits to get to. Any final thoughts on the proposed stadium before we uh, just do a little roundup of some White Sox news? You know, the next two weeks to a month, are going to be fascinating. I think the good thing about this is that it sounds as if we're going to know quick. We're not going to be left in limbo the way A's fans have been in Oakland for four or five years now at this point. Um, you know, and you think about, you know, some of the, some of the relocation stuff that has happened, you know, with the expos going down to DC and everything that surrounded that, um, you know, that team from Canada South, you know, 20 years ago, rumored about being contracted if they didn't get a new ballpark. The fact that it seems as though this is going to come to fruition quickly is going to be a good thing. And then it's going to kind of make you wonder, you know, obviously the lease on the current ballpark at 35th and Shields expires in 2029. Is there maybe some chance that maybe Jerry tries to buy out a year or two of that lease and they start construction on this thing right away. I mean, you never know, you know, is that, is that possible or are we just going to basically look and gear towards 2030? Got to have shovels in the ground. I would say by April, 2026 here to, to give yourself some time. So, you know, you've got about 26, 27 months right now here before this thing's got to get rolling. And, um, you know, if it gets done, man, um, like I said, it's, it's going to be different. It's going to be a change of pace, but opening day 2030 could be wild, man. Yeah. It's going to be different going into that ballpark for the first time. I think everybody will be just a little bit, uh, out of, feel out of place, but, uh, I, I hope it's as cool as, as we all want it to be. It's, you know, just good new features. Hopefully that uh, the lines aren't terrible. They do the bathrooms the right way. There's a lot of things that they can screw up. And that's what I'm worried about because I'm a White Sox fan. There's going to be something 
that we're all going to complain about. I just you, don't know you mean you're concerned that this organization is going to cut corners? Yes. What ever have they done that? Right. And that's why they, they've, it's been said a couple of times. They have a chance to do this and, and be the envy of baseball, have a premier stadium, do all this stuff the right way. To me, I'm waiting for that other like shoot a drop of like, what the hell did we just do? That's what I'm waiting for because we've been in that position over and over again. But I will like, I would like to end this on a positive. And that positive is it means that the Sox are not going to leave. And that was, as you brought up, one of my biggest fears. What happens if this team leaves? And we had this conversation with a couple of people uh, as we were recording our, our special project, as we've hinted at a couple of times that, you know, what are we going to do? Like we watched what happened with the Oakland A's. We've all sort of felt this bottom, like rock bottom feeling with this organization over the past season and into this off season. It, it's really felt like rock bottom. And this was, this was some positive news. And the reason, like I said, it's positive is because, you know, as a White Sox fan, that they are more than likely going to be a staple in Chicago for, I would say that ballpark runs another 30 years there at that location. You don't know if it can be renovated. I, we're getting closer to the time where, you know, my time, your time, everybody who's listening to this time uh, is, is, is coming towards an end. And you know, the White Sox are going to be in Chicago because I don't ever want to live a day of my life where the White Sox aren't playing baseball in Chicago and I don't have access to go to that game. That's, that's a, that's a fear. I think most of us have that if you're a diehard White Sox fan. So I love the fact that we are getting a ballpark in Chicago or in the Chicago land area. That's all I did. And it's not the North side. It's still on the South side. There's concessions that can be made there. I'm not saying it's going to be the greatest thing or that we're going to love every aspect of it but it means that the White Sox will be in Chicago. And that's what's important to me. Yeah. And I'm sure that's important to a lot of people. No, 100%. I echo those sentiments. I mean, I've let it be known that um, when my time on this earth expires, that I have only one, my last dying wish or my last dying decree is that. It's getting morbid around here. That should I, should I pass during baseball season? that wake and funeral has to be done same day on an off day because with my luck, I'd kick the bucket on a day when one of my nephews has front row seats for a game at this new beautiful ballpark. And so I don't want my death to inconvenience them. That's, that's admirable of you, Steve. And that, that might be one of the most admirable things I've ever heard you say, but I think we should host it. You know, this is just my wish for you. I think we should host it in old lot B, you know, before the game. And we'll we'll do your your whole ceremony there. And then we can all parade over to uh to the 78 development. We'll have a tailgate and everybody can stone called Steve Austin Beers. We're talking about Steve's death here. This is as I said, very morbid. But we got some other White Sox news. This is a weird transition. Uh, but you brought up your death. So I just had to throw my my take on on your passing. Uh, out on the out on the air a couple other White Sox notes Stephen um, one of our favorite pitchers who's played for this team Mr. Mark Burley uh, he was on a Hall of Fame ballot and it seems like he's going to remain there he got some he got some votes not enough not enough votes and I'm mad that people aren't voting him in one because he's a White Sox two because he's one of my favorite players that's ever donned the uniform and three, because he was just that damn good and underappreciated. But I'm glad he garnered some of the vote here, enough to stay on this ballot. Um, it's going to be an uphill climb for him, I believe. Uh, it, there it doesn't seem to budge upward. And I don't think we're going to get enough you know, good press out there. Maybe you need to start pounding this drum here at ONTAP Sportsnet with some, some Mark Burley articles so we can continue to uh, inform the people that uh, they should be voting for Mark Burley. But any thoughts on uh, the Hall of Fame vote, Mark Burley remaining on the ballot? Any of any anything from you here, Stephen? My thoughts are this: um, Mark Burley is my favorite White Sox player ever. He is the guy that tarp um, slides are cool and tough. That it, I mean, obviously there, there's that, but he's the guy that resonated with me more than anybody else. Being a soft tossing left-handed pitcher. He was my spirit animal. 
Uh, this is the guy that was drinking beer in the clubhouse and then decided, hey, I'm going to close out game three of the World Series. You know, I would say that's pretty cool and tough. Wouldn't you? I would. I would confirm. Yeah. Hashtag confirms. Yeah. And that's hashtag confirmed. Um. So. I think Burley is underappreciated in the sense, and it's funny. I actually saw a clip of Brian Kenny, um, who I know is uh, very hotly debated in in these circles, basically just talking about the fact that Burley's durability and consistency, being able to be a guy that for 15 innings could give you 200 innings a year, guaranteed, and he missed a, doing that for a 16th year by two outs. Unfriggin' believable. I know he couldn't get those two fucking outs in that final start in in 2016 uh, that that would have gotten him up to you know 16 consecutive years of that. Um, but that matters, you know, in an age now where starting pitchers don't go deep into games, they're not expected to go more than three times through an order. A lot of them not even getting the opportunity to go three times through an order. Um, I think uh, Chubbs makes a decent point here for once. I guess, you know, listen, a broken hand or excuse me, a broken clock is right twice a day. So, you know, congratulations, Kenneth. Ken Will in the comments. He's a vet committee guy. Well-liked, pretty decent numbers. If you're listening to the podcast version of this. Um, yeah, I think that is a good point, Stephen. So, you know, being a guy that you know, you can give him the ball and he's going to, put you in a position to win a baseball game. What do I pound the table about every night, Anthony? How many outs do I require as a bare minimum every night for my starting pitchers? Let them know. Let them know. Let them know. I I need 18. I got to have 18. I will not accept less than that. People that want to talk about, oh, you know, he he went out there and he let it all out for for five and a third innings. And, you know, he struck out 12 guys. This is why you're a huge Michael Kopech fan. I need minimum of 18 outs. I would like the number to be 21. If I'm being completely honest with you, I would like, I, I would like at least 21. I will allow for 18. That is the bare minimum. Anything less than that is not acceptable in my baseball world. Mark Burley gave that to you consistently. And one of the best things about it, and I used to go to pretty much Every Burley start from 2005 um, up through the... You'd have no pitch clock if everybody played like Mark Burley. And that that was one of the great things. I can't tell you how many times on a Tuesday or Wednesday night I would go to the game and I would be in my car heading back home by 9.20 p.m. Home and in bed by 10 o'clock. It was absolutely fucking great. You know, Steve needs his sleep. That's why he was a huge burly guy. Um, I just, you know, the the accolades sort of speak for themselves here too. Um, I mean, you're talking about a guy that's done it all, like perfect game, no hitter, World Series champion. I, I know you were there. Um, talking about like what a pitcher can accomplish on the baseball field. It, you've come in, close down a World Series game. Like those are the cool and tough pinnacle moments um, performing under pressure was never a problem for Mark Burley. So outside of the stat sheet, you got to look at some of these moments, I think, and what they are in relation to baseball history. You talk about MVP, most valuable player for a team. Mark Burley was in that conversation for that 2005 White Sox team and many other White Sox teams for that matter as being that guy. Um, I know he's not a position player, so he's not impacting the game every, you know, every day. And and that gets argued about, but he was a leader in this, in this clubhouse. He was the face of the franchise, at least on the pitching side. If you want to take away uh, Paul Canerco from that equation as well. I know we've got some, some Pauly thoughts within the group that's uh, listening to the show currently, but um, I, I just think that when you're looking at, this ballot and the name Mark Burley's on there. It's very easy to overlook him. If you're a national guy, it's very easy to overlook him. And that's, that's a a white Sox national recognition problem. And we've had that basically our entire lives, Steven. So it's, it's going to be a little bit of an uphill battle still in my opinion, but uh, maybe, maybe the veterans committee, like, uh, like Kenmo said, You, you talk about, 
the value to a team. You know, there was a point, um, you know, from the 2004 through, you know, I think it was August of 05, where he had gone at least six innings in like 50 some consecutive starts. And it literally took him getting ejected from a game on a Thursday afternoon in Baltimore because he drilled the guy on purpose defending his teammates for that streak to end. Look it up. But baseball, you, baseball nuggets brought to you by you, Steve. You talk, you talk about the importance of starting pitchers. And what did what did the great Hawk Harrelson always used to say? The best way to protect your bullpen is with your starting rotation. And that is what Mark Burley did every five days. Yeah. And uh I, I believe that is that's Hall of Fame worthy. I this question comes up all the time is you know is Mark Burley Hall of Fame worthy? And, you know, there's a lot of people who want to throw out like, you know, the Hall of Good. And I, I it's, I'm really hard pressed to look back at my White Sox viewing career and come up with another pitcher that had the tenure that he did and was as good as long as he was uh, that played in a White Sox uniform. And you look around the league and there's not a lot of guys that can do that. We're entering an era, Steve, where, you know, some of these pitchers are never going to amass the amount of innings that guys like Burley in that era did. And there will come a time where we're starting to elect people into the Hall of Fame who didn't even touch the baseball as, as much as some of these guys and have even as significant results. Like, it's going to be hard for guys in three or four years. I, you're not going to see no hitters. They're not going to exist. You already have managers pulling guys out of baseball games in the sixth, seventh inning with a no hitter. Cause they're at 90 pitches drives me nuts, but that's just the way the game is played now. And I think you have to respect guys that did it a couple of times. That's fame to me. Hall of fame. That, that these are stories that need to be told to people who go to Cooperstown and see a plaque. What did Mark Burley do? Okay. Here's all the accolades that's up there. Put them in the, put them in the fucking hall. So, I went to Cooperstown for the induction of the greatest White Sox player ever, Frank Edward Thomas Jr., a guy who made the correct decision and blocked Ken W.O. on Twitter.com. That did happen. I'm I'm concerned why that happened. But I mean, probably because Kenneth is an idiot and and you know Big Frank saw that and recognized it. So you have to applaud him for his mental aptitude uh, to make a decision like that. But that's not why you called. So I went to Cooperstown for that induction ceremony there. And I will tell you this. I don't care if I'm 72 years old and if Mark Burley gets in on the Veterans Committee, I will be there in Cooperstown if Mark Burley is ever elected. Fair enough. We'll, we'll have you live on the ground reporting, you know, live on scene. Literally on the ground? Yes. We'll put you on the ground right there. Just will I be fine. upright? It, I, we don't know. We don't know. Maybe we'll, it might be wheelchair, Steve. At that point, who knows? But uh, let's 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 hope that that happens. Um, that's that's about it for for some Mark Burley talk. Although we could probably do an entire hour long segment on his career. Maybe we will do that someday. Uh, quick little White Sox news notes. Uh, there was a pitcher signed. Uh, John Brebia, I believe this guy's name is, coming from San Francisco. He's going to enter the Cats Lab, um, Bannister Lab, uh, what have you. Um, I hear he's a good interview. I don't know much. I don't think I've seen him pitch. Steven, any any notes on this guy that you have? Um, he's a Bannister disciple. You know, they have familiarity working together in San Francisco with the Giants organization. Um. I'm fine with it. You know, this is a, a low risk move. See what you got, you know, see if this is just going to be a swing man, uh, maybe a multi-inning reliever. However, he's going to get deployed, I think will remain to be seen, but there's no downside to it. And like I said, Bannister feels comfortable with it and Bannister. I trust. There you go. Um, last little White Sox news and notes. Uh, the Zips projections came out. We'll probably dig into those a little bit more in our next we episode. To? We, I mean, we don't have to do it today. No. We don't have to do it today. But uh, we'll, we'll we'll take a look at those. They were not good by any stretch of the imagination. Um, <laughs> uh, 
But uh, you can go look at those. Uh, Dan Zimborski released those on, on X the other day. Um, they're not good. We'll be talking about those coming up here shortly on our next episode. We've got uh, a special project we've referenced a couple of times. It'll be coming your way sometime uh, in the very near future. We've we've wrapped recording on this. It's it's going to be a great um, uh, a lot of hours of of content. Um, it, it was it was a it was a long project that we took on through the winter. That's why we haven't been live here. If you're uh, tuning into us right now and wondering where the hell we've been. We've still been doing White Sox content. Um, we're not going anywhere. We've got we've got a lot of content coming your way. I'm really excited to release it. Uh, we did. Uh, I'll just. It, it took forever, Stephen. It, it felt like it took forever, but uh, I'm I'm very excited. How about you? The project, as we have affectionately referred to it. Um, that's its code name. Like that was like the worst code name that we could have come up with. Just calling it the, the, the project, the special project. We should have called it something way cooler. I mean, it's, it's, that's fine. Um, you know, people don't necessarily, necessarily need to see what's underneath the hood. Uh, yeah. they're, they're going to get to see the finished product. And I think that, um, you know, as we lead up to the season here, this is something that is going to be, fascinating for for people to watch and and it's going to be eye-opening um and it's going to be a reminder a sad reminder in a lot of ways about how we got to where we are right now uh we put in a lot of man hours on this we put in the work it was an arduous process and um there's going to be some interesting faces along the way that people are going to see that they know and a lot of commentary, some laughs along the way, a lot of tears, a lot of angst, but it was something that needed to be done. And I know I am unbelievably excited to get this wrapped up and uh, bring it to the people. Me too. It, me, as, me as well here. It's uh, It was a long winter, but we kept ourselves busy. Thank you to everybody who tuned in. Here live, we've got comments on X working. Kenwo is taking full advantage of that. We've we've learned that he's not a YouTube guy, but uh, we're glad to have him interacting with the show now. Are we? Um, yes, we are. We we love the comments. The comment section is 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 a good thing, Stephen. Um, whether it's Kenwo or whoever else, I'd rather have Voodoo making commentary in here. He was he was not in here tonight. I don't know where he is. Um, but uh, thank you to everybody who joined in through comments on here. A uh, lot of talk about the new stadium project development, the rumors, everything that's going on with that. Um, I think we recap that very well. Um, make sure you're following the show at Socks on Tap on the X platform. Uh, you can subscribe to us on YouTube. That's youtube.com slash ontapsportsnet. You can follow Stephen at NWI underscore Steve, myself at Tony on Tap. Any final thoughts that you have before we close this thing down you know anthony we are three weeks away from pitchers and catchers reporting um and there's still a lot of players that are unsigned at the moment yes dylan cease is still in a white Sox uniform and it is looking increasingly likely that he might actually be in glendale with this team when they report did not expect that to happen. I, I was not anticipating that either. Um, you know, Mike Elias quit being a fucking prospect hugger and move some of your guys. Let's get this show on the road already here. Um, but uh, no, that's, that's about it, man. I think we covered a lot of ground here tonight. Yes, we did. Uh, my final thoughts. It's, it's getting closer to baseball season. So you're going to see, our faces more on this on this platform. Um, once again, thanks to everybody for tuning in, and uh, we'll be hashtag back rather soon, Stephen. I think we'll be back on these airwaves next week talking uh, talking more about some zips projections. Maybe we'll get into Eloy Jimenez's comments that uh, he had on foul territory today. Um, go check those out um, and stay up to date uh, with uh, White Sox happenings here at ONTAP Sportsnet. That's ONTAPSportsnet.com. Can go to our White Sox section. Uh, Steven's always got some great ramblings up there uh, in the White Sox land. So that's it for us. Steven, close down how we always do. White Sox forever. White Sox for life. <laughs>